0: with one and only Dr. Peter McCullough and Mr. Steve Kerr should be joining us any moment today on Friday, January 27th, 2023 at 2.03 p.m. Eastern time. Dr. McCullough has been on here an oodle of times. He is the most published cardio renal physician in world history. He has been on Joe Rogan. He has, uh, if you have a podcast and you like having subscribers and uh, revenue on YouTube, have Dr. McCullough on and he will nuke all that from under you like an atom bomb in the way that only he can do. And I say that as a compliment. I genuinely mean that as a compliment. It'll move you over to rumble. Come to the light. He's the author of The Courage to Face COVID-19 along with his co-author, John Leak. In the description, I'll put his Substack, his Twitter, his getter, his gab, his truth, all of that good stuff. Dr. McCullough, how are you doing, sir?
1: Tommy, thanks for having me. You said I was on Joe Rogan. I set all his records for Joe Rogan. I know Rogan. you did. I should get part of his uh, you know, multi-hundred million dollar contract from Spotify uh, that, that nearly got yanked after our podcast went viral. So great to be on the show. Boy, do we have a lot of news, including a fellow UT Southwestern graduate, Dr. Jordan
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
2: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA,
0: member FDSE.
1: Tristan Lee Walker of Pfizer and uh, and Project Veritas. What a story.
0: Now, could you, for for the listener, could could you, because I know I, so I have a friend at Project Veritas and uh, been friends with her for a couple of years and I was just texting her. And uh, she was saying it's blowing all their minds. It is their most viewed video of all time. I think they've cleared 30 million, I think by an order of magnitude. It's the mo- like by 10 per- not by 10%, by a tenfold, 100% or 1,000% or 100%. It's at 30 million views. And it is about, um from what I've gathered, it's with the hashtag going around is directed evolution. Now, could you... Could you describe exactly what that means? Evolution of, yeah. of the human biome, or of the, or of specifically SARS-CoV-2.
1: Well, let me set the context here, Tommy. We were uh, like so many of the public. You know, we were stunned to see this. You know, I don't have any inside knowledge of what Project Veritas is is doing, but let's just take the subject who, who now probably will become a target of uh, of federal or international probes. Uh, his name is Jordan Tristan Lee Walker. Let's call him Dr. Walker. What we know about him is he graduated from Yale and then he spent a year trying to get into medical school. He actually got into University of Texas Southwestern Medical School in Dallas, the same medical school I went to. I graduated in 1988 as an Alpha Omega Alpha graduate. That's the top 7% of graduates in the whole country Uh, I'm not sure Dr. Walker was AOA. I didn't think he made it, but uh, he graduated in 2018, and uh, he may not have actually matched in residency. He took some type of rotating internship up in New York or or Boston. I know he got licensed in New York. Looks like he never finished his internship or, uh, or his first year of residency, and he's picked up by Pfizer. As uh, as a research and development director, now this is a guy, you know, he hasn't even hardly seen patients, let alone done research or have any academic qualifications. Certainly not in vaccines or virology. And he holds a title in advisor as a research and development director, and then he basically gets uh, uh, entrained, and he's entrained in what appears to be a male honey trap, uh, meaning uh, there is an alluring potential male partner for him uh, I- implying that he's he's either bisexual or homosexual. And uh, he's on a third date with this uh, person who he's hoping to even have more dates with, and he's drinking and what he discloses is uh, a plan that Pfizer has to actually get ahead of the game and, and actually create new mutations of SARS-CoV-2 and then get them into circulation and be ready to have a vaccine that covers these new strains. And uh, people are using the term planned evolution or, in a sense, kind of a designer uh, virology uh, uh, pandemic model, because what happened is our, our CDC just met on this and said they want to go to annual boosters for COVID-19 like like it's done with the influenza. But the problem here is that SARS-CoV-2 is muting, mutating ahead of uh, the manufacturers. And when the, by the time the manufacturers uh, come out with a, a product, it's too late. So now he suggests doing the opposite of actually creating disease in populations and then having a vaccine to anticipate it. And uh, the person talking to him says, uh, you, "You know, don't you think that's going to be bad for the world? And he says something to the effect of, yeah, it's bad for the world, but good for Pfizer. Well, th- th- what happened next, Tommy, is amazing. People can watch the videos. Uh, he, he comes back into a restaurant, and he's confronted by James O'Keefe, <laughs> Project Veritas. And this young guy... It's hard to know if he's intoxicated or not, but he simply loses his marbles. It becomes a fracas. He's all over the place. His cell phone goes on the ground. Next thing you know, he's, he's wiping himself on the ground. He's, he's all over the place. He runs out into the street, tries to stop traffic. This guy basically just loses his marbles when he figures out that he's been stung. He's actually been in a sting operation. Within 24 hours... Uh, as you mentioned, the videos and all these different formats go go viral. Uh, Senator Marco Marco Rubio gets involved and sends a letter off to Albert Borla, the mm-hmm. CEO of Pfizer, uh, asking for an explanation. And, and boy, is the ship going down quickly? it looks like for Pfizer. If this guy, if anything he said is true, Tommy, this is an unbelievable revelation.
0: James O'Keefe is kind of like, uh, like holy water to demons. They just start writhing on the floor and speaking in demonic tongues when they see them. And uh, there, there is some kind of beauty in that. <clears throat> but uh, what I want to go back to is the idea of directed evolution as a as a sick and evil as that it may be to the average person that has a moral compass and a soul. It really does co- go back to our, our, our prior two or three episodes talking about the the uh, the the P3, the DARPA adept program in that if this is a military program, this all kind of dark jokes aside, this is a playbook that is not new. Sure, it's, it's new in biotechnology and vaccine rollouts and these highly complex biopharmaceutical conglomerates. But I mean, even something as the probably the most well-known one is um well, let's go back to World War II and we funded the Soviets to help beat the Japanese and the Nazis and then we fight the Soviets. We uh, we fund the Mujahideen in the 70s to fight the Soviet Union and then they become the Taliban. This is, not, this is not not seen before where you fund an opposition to get something back later. Is it good for the world? Absolutely not. It's good for a select few companies. That might be a bit of a stretch, but that is something we've seen before where you fund the very thing you need to fight in order to make it. And- now joining us is is Mr. Steve Kirsch. Mr. Kirsch, how are you doing, sir? uh
2: good. I was uh, on the Google Meet link, so sorry to
0: oh, you are you are you are quite all right that is, that is my fault. I'm a thousand seventy episodes into this, and I still don't exactly know what I'm doing. Um Mr. Kirsch, we are talking about the the Pfizer video and the idea of directed evolution and not to immediately throw you in the frying pan as you just appeared, but your thoughts on that video and the idea of Pfizer actually pushing mutations and variations in order to treat it?
2: Well, um, they are going to use that second video to claim that he was just trying to impress his date. Right? And so that then creates doubt. And that way they can basically say, hey, he was just lying. Right? And that will be their excuse. But I thought about it. You know, I, I I try to put myself... So so first of all, I know a lot more than I can reveal. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but so think about it. this: So, so I talked to, to Robert Malone on our VS, VSRF call yesterday. And I said, you know, Robert, does this kind of like make sense to you? Or is this something like somebody just made this up out of thin air? And he thought it was like pretty well crafted. Like you'd ha- either have had to... Thought about this ahead of time, really, you know, like really thought about it ahead of time, or it's really happening. Now, why would this guy think up this story ahead of time? I mean, it sort of doesn't make sense. And if he's trying to impress a date, why would he be so callous about um, the health of the American people, right? If you're if you're trying to impress someone on what a good guy you are, you would be saying wow, these guys are doing this, and this is so corrupt, right? That's what you would be doing. You'd be trying to impress your date yeah. the other way, like on how well, you're such a good guy and that you're working for this corrupt organization. And you'd be saying, hey, and I'm going to collect the data to expose these guys. That's how you would impress them.
1: And, and now, Steve, I would, I would chime in there. and 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 why would he say that this was just discussed at a meeting? Why would he anchor this to a Pfizer meeting? Uh, you know, that wouldn't be by design to impress anybody. It sounds like he's reporting the news that this really happened in a Pfizer meeting and they really did discuss this. That's
2: what it sounded like to me. Like I didn't get any kind of. T- Usually, when you concoct a story, there are things that don't make sense, yeah. right? There are things that don't fit, um, they're, they're logically inconsistent. But I didn't detect anything in that video that was logically just, uh, 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 you know, that didn't make sense, that didn't fit together. Like everything kind of made like, yeah, that's actually, you know, if you were Pfizer and you wanted to make a lot of money, that's how you'd be, uh, uh, you might be thinking that way. Like it, it made like total sense.
1: It made sense. And in fact, his questioner asked a question and said, well, 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 well. Wouldn't that be bad for you know for the public? And he said, Well, yeah, it'd be bad for the public, but it would be good for Pfizer.
2: Yeah. Like, how do you lie? Why would you lie about something like that? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And then for him to go off the rails, you know, when he on that second thing where he went off the rails, it's like, hey, it, it should have been just, hey, I was just lying to impress a date. Yeah. You uh, know, it's yeah. like, hey, look, you know, you guys are totally misinterpreting this, which just like, it'd be like super calm, yeah. You and this guy was pissed, yeah. Now, yeah. if he is lying, he'd just say, yeah, hey, it was lying, you know, no big deal. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, you caught me. I, I I was lying to press date. but you see, he didn't come across that way. Mm-hmm. He came across as. I would like, I don't know if I could say like F word or
0: whatever,
1: man. Don't say an F word. I try not to cuss, but uh, you <laughs> know what? The guy just absolutely wiped himself on the floor. He just was a total mess. And I thought what was interesting is even when he got out of there, he claimed that he was locked in the restaurant and either he went nuts in the street. He tried to flag somebody down. And he, he, he I mean, this was, uh, this was not somebody who quote was, trying to uh impress a date this was a guy who knew he was caught he knew he had been stung and boy he understood the ramifications of it and that's the reason why he went nuts
2: oh yeah no that's that's how it appeared to me right your your mileage may vary here but that's um that's what my impression was and i like i said i have more info uh than than most people have (laughs) <laughs> I'd Like way more info on this, and uh, how dare you? Do. Yeah, yeah. You know what should what should happen, and I think Peter would agree with this. And Peter and I have not discussed this beforehand, so I'm like, and I didn't even hear what Peter said uh, sure. uh, previous to this. So I'm just telling you, you know, my impression. Um, what should happen is that there should be a congressional investigation. Right. I mean, look, the Senate is looking into Taylor Swift concerts, t- concert tickets, right from Ticketmaster. I mean, Jesus Christ! These people are murdering people, and and Congress is like, you know, worrying about Taylor Swift get, uh, getting tickets to the Taylor Swift concert. I mean, the Senate is focused on on that issue. I mean, this is this is nuts. These people in Congress should have their head examined, you know. And the other thing um, is, you know, sort of conversely, is that there's willful blindness on all this. We could end. This whole pandemic, uh, these shots in an instant, if a state governor or a health official, top health official of the state said, hey, let's just do a simple join on two databases. One's the death database, and the other one's the vaccination database. And believe me, it'll be clear as day to everybody that these vaccines are shortchanging lives. Like it is, it. I only have 1,500 death records, and I can tell you that this thing is is statistically impossible that these vaccines are not causing massive numbers of deaths. There's no question. What the the the, the interval between you getting the shot and you. dying is way shorter if you got the shot than if you were unvaccinated it is not even close and they won't release the data they have the data they could easily do this we we will do all the work just give us access to the records they don't want those records to be known because they don't want to expose it. And it's happening worldwide. There's not a single public health official worldwide, anywhere in the world, that is calling for transparency and truth because that's not what they're about. They're not about truth. And that really bugs me.
1: Steve, just to pick up on that, uh, and so the listeners can understand that the vaccine administration records could be linked to the National Death Index. So we would know one for one uh, the you know, people vaccinated yeah. and those who've died. And indeed, if they yeah. were vaccinated ahead of time, that's, that's all within our ability to know that. Uh, there's now three sources of concordant information through 2021. I think this is astounding. First, if you take the VARES system, uh, in December of 2021, there was roughly 8,000 domestic deaths with an underreporting uh, factor of 30. Uh, And I've used that much
2: more than that, Peter.
1: I know. I know. But let's just say 30. I've used that conservatively and, you know, put confidence intervals around. I've done this actually for my ABIM appeal uh, case at conservatively at 30. That puts it at 240,000 deaths of Americans through December of 2021. Then we, we had the paper by Pantazatos and Seligman, Uh, from Columbia University, using vaccine administration data and census data, and who's coming off the census rolls. And there, the estimate was 187,000 was the upper part of the confidence interval. Um, The midpoint would have been 166,000. And now recently, Mark Skidmore, Michigan State University, published in BMC Infectious Diseases, uses a social science model, which is very interesting about what people knew and what they're reporting and who they knew who died. And, and uh, he's very confident about this. I've personally interviewed him and uh, he's this guy's this guy an endowed chair in economics and quantitative uh, sciences. This guy really knows what he's talking about. His number came in at the number of deaths through the end of December of 2021 at 289,000 Americans. These three numbers, in my view, and I'm trained in this, are sufficiently concordant uh, that there should be major alarms going off. The vaccine should be off the market. yeah, they don't want to look, Peter.
2: They don't want to look. I have i I made calls to, you know, Tom Shimbekuru at the the uh, the CDC just came out and said, "Hey, you know, these vaccines may actually be causing some side effects. We're going to look into this. Like, really, Tom, really? After all this time, he's finally coming out and saying, hey, there might be something here. And the NIH is still denying that there are any vaccine injured. I mean, and here's the thing: that these people are so evil that they don't want to see the data. Peter, did you know that they're blocking, they're blocking all my emails at the CDC and they're blocking all my emails at the FDA. I cannot apply to speak at these meetings where there's public comment because I am being silenced illegally. My First Amendment rights, I have the right to go and speak at these meetings, and they are denying me that right by censoring me. This is how corrupt these people are. And you know, Peter, it's going to cost me half a million dollars to sue these—what, Um, what, you said I can't <laughs> use any words— <laughs> but steve, who's, here, who's, whose video you, is this this is this is mine. dr McCullough would prefer you uh, down, uh, Yeah, i, I think try,
1: i try not to cuss steve uh steve okay uh, no, I, if, i'm not so
2: constrained as peter
1: but but to, to pick up on two developments that i think are very important the national lipid association which is kind of in the circle of, of cardiovascular disease of which i'm a lifetime diplomat of this organization held its first web conference on the sudden increase in cardiovascular deaths. Uh, And they had three speakers uh, and they were uh, investigating childhood cholesterol levels and and obesity and these other factors. And I wrote them uh, to consider having, uh, and in fact, I'd be happy to do this, cover COVID-19 vaccination as a determinant of this. The reason why I'm pointing this out is that the societies in some type of trance-like blindness are actually seeing increases. They're acknowledging increases in cardiovascular death, which should not be occurring since we've made so many advances, but they're not zeroing in on the vaccines. And the other major development, Steve, this is stunning. Mary Tally Bowden, uh, a, a, um, a ENT uh, pulmonary respiratory medicine specialist in Houston, uh, applied to Western IRB. That's the correct thing that doctors should do when they're doing research. In a private clinic, is 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 applied to an institutional review board to do research. That's what we're supposed to do. The NIH tells us to do research protocols. Her protocol was to simply measure blood biomarkers for myocarditis in people before and after the vaccine. And Western, and I can Idaho, tell you what happened. Yeah, I, I can could, tell you
2: what happened. Right, it denied. We're not even going to give you. We're not going to give you an answer as to why we rejected it. It's just they just rejected it out of hand, right?
1: Right. And, and, you know, the application for that's about a $20,000 application. I, I know this because, you know, I do research. And I can tell you what, what this is a very important signal. This means that one can't even do research on this topic. And, you know, our NIH and CDC are always promoting research. Everything's going to be a research protocol. And they're shutting down research on vaccine safety.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, it's so corrupt. It's unbelievable. Look, you know, with, with the FAA, I contacted Susan Northrup. She's like the chief flight surgeon for the, uh, for the FAA. And I'm like wondering, she, she, she made the statement saying, Hey, we haven't seen any problems with any of our pilots, you know, with nothing associated with the vaccine. And I'm like, what the, you know, is going on here? And I'm (laughs) (laughs) self-censoring. Peter, is that okay? (laughs) And, and so, so I call her up on her phone. She answers the phone. And and says, uh, uh, hello. And I say, hi, is this Susan? And she says, Yep. And I said, Hey, this is Steve Kirsch. I'm, I'm the guy who wrote the FAA article, you know, calling you out on the, the PR interval. And she says, Oh, I know who you are. And and so I said, so, so I, I, I said, I can't understand how you're like, you know, saying that there's no safety signals here that that that, that you, you've seen. Because have have you heard of Bob Snow? And she said, Yes. And I said, have you ever talked to Bob Snow? And she said, no. And, and so I said, would you like to? And she said, yes. And so I gave her Bob Snow's number. She never called him. But see, after the call, I found out, I called Bob Snow. I said, hey, huh, looks like she never talked to you, but who'd you talk to at the FAA? He said, the FAA never called him. Are you kidding me? I mean, the FAA has never called. This guy is an American Airlines senior captain. He lands the plane. Six minutes later, he has a heart attack. It could have happened six minutes earlier, and that plane would have been on the ground in pieces. And so you'd think that somebody at the FAA would be calling to ask him, what the hell's going on? And nobody did. And so the reason, see, I thought Susan was lying to me when she said, oh, we're not aware of any safety issues. They're not aware of any safety issues, Peter, because they never investigate any any of the deaths or disabilities of the pilots or flight attendants associated with the COVID vaccine. They' basically basically say we haven't seen any of these these incidents. <laughs> They're deliberately not investigating anything.
1: Well, Tommy, let me ask you, does the FAA, F- A- A- don't they have an obligation to investigate uh, airline near misses, airline crashes, airline safety events?
0: I have interviewed uh, pilots before. I actually did interview the pilot of a B-2 stealth bomber, the most expensive plane ever built. It's $2 billion. He's retired now, Brigadier General Robert Spaulding. But I remember him saying in his book, uh, Stealth War, about China, I believe it was in a his, He made an off comment about the FAA and uh, and the National Transportation Safety Board. He said, if a single tray is not in its upright position, when a single plane lands in an obscure airport in Montana, there's an investigation. (laughs) (laughs) If there's not, something's going on.
1: That's what it is. So, so Steve, that's the inroad. The inroad here is that we want to see the FAA investigation, not only in pilot snow, but I really want to see the one on the pilot, who's the co-pilot who has a cardiac arrest on the takeoff of the plane from Chicago O'Hare, and you right. can imagine the cockpit. He, he this is a guy's thirty-six years old. He's in the cockpit. He's unconscious. The pilot's trying to fly the plane, trying to get the the stewardesses to help get the door open. You can imagine this. Then they pull him out, and they attempt CPR. And I, I'm told he had a non-shockable rhythm, meaning electromechanical dissociation. That almost is 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 telegraphing this as a fatal pulmonary embolism. The guy dies. He dies, and they have to return. They have to emergency return to uh, Chicago. Here, Steve, there should be an FAA investigation uh, paperwork that should be reviewed. And if they haven't investigated, that's actually the trigger, the the operational trigger.
2: Uh, I would bet you good money, Peter, that there was never an investigation on that one.
0: That's grounds for a plane being shot down. It's someone trying no. to get into the cockpit.
2: That's well, yeah or. Or or you know, the the Peter, there's a pilot who died in midair. He's in they're in the they're in midair and he died. I'm sure there's no investigation on that. I couldn't couldn't find it. Well,
1: like, well why is I, this being hidden from the public? But Steve I mean, Steve, you know, that, that's but what Tommy says right. That that's actually the trigger is, is to demand the investigation. There must be some way to have the investigation, I, and they haven't I, been I, done. We can, that can be raised to congressional I,
2: I talked to directly to the Deputy Administrator Bradley Mims. I talked to him myself personally. I said, "Bradley, what the f- is going on here?" And <laughs> I was I didn't use the F-word. And he said, "No comment." And I said, "Seriously." He said, "No comment. You have to talk to the press office." No comment." No comment? I mean, like, I talked to the press office, so I emailed the press office. They actually emailed me back. They said the FAA has seen no incidents uh, uh, related between the COVID and uh, um, and pilot incidences. They haven't seen any evidence. They're, these guys
1: are uh, – it's unbelievable,
2: Peter. But I mean, the corruption –
1: we don't have to raise a connection to the vaccine. We simply have to ask if it's investigated. Remember, no, the- exactly.
2: That's yeah. all I said is, why aren't you investigating these things? Why? Why didn't you call Snow? Like,
1: well, if, you know, listen. The, when, uh, when you know, when a, a plane skids off a runway, uh, it, it, the the investigations are very transparent. You know, the black box. You know, they're mm-hmm. searching for the black box in the bottom of the ocean. You hear about it day by day. You know, they're they're very transparent on this. Uh, Tommy, there must be some way uh, that we can uh, uh, raise, put enough, uh, shine enough light on this to demand the investigations. And when the investigations occur, uh, the reason why they say they don't know about it, Steve, is because they're not doing the investigations. No, I know, I know, but
2: but they they know they're not doing the investigations because I asked the press office, why aren't you doing the investigations? What is your excuse? Press office says, "Oh, we haven't seen any any problem here," and and I'm I'm like. I, I sent them a link to all the evidence, and these guys are saying no comment. Or Susan saying, Yeah, I want to talk to the pilot, and she never talks to the pilot. These guys aren't seeing the evidence because they're not looking, but they won't investigate it because they won't talk to anybody and they're not going to do an investigation. And so I, I reached out to Pete Buttigieg's office, you know, so I do the press office thing, you know, and they don't reply. So today I called the house committee on aviation and they, they actually talked to me. They were really interested. What a surprise. Buttigieg doesn't give a shit. Sorry. (laughs) And and these, the, the house committee, which is run by Republicans, (laughs) these guys are like, "Hmm, let me, let me take that. Sounds interesting. You know? And then I called the chief of staff for the, um, the Republican in charge of, uh, of that. And he's a pilot, Mm. you know, so we're going to find out real quickly whether the house is going to investigate or not. And if the house doesn't investigate, we have a serious problem here.
1: Well, let me just say this work uh, may be the most important work of, of people in the freedom movement now, because, uh, if one of these pilots has an arrest, and he's wedged in there and there's commotion in the cockpit. And I, you know, I've been involved in dozens of in-flight emergencies as a cardiologist. So I know exactly where the equipment is and how to do all this stuff. If this turn, you can honestly, it can turn out to be an, an incredibly confused time. Uh, a plane could be put in peril. And, and if, if a plane goes down and 300 people uh, lose their life over this, uh, and, and there was all this uh, warning ahead of time, yourself and, and Josh Yoder and so many others, uh, uh, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of culpability here. Tommy, have you heard about this development of them loosening uh, some of the criteria for pilots, uh, medical criteria? I, I
0: have. I have not. Something popped in my head. Though. One of the guys I've interviewed is Charlie Duke, uh, one of four men alive who walked on the moon. He did that in 1972, and he talked about back then, 51 years ago, that every biological movement they had, from bowel movement to breathing to heart rate was was sent back to the earth via telemetry it then makes you think does every astronaut have that now i would venture to say yes including those on the space station and those selected by spacex elon has shown through the twitter files and his own tweets about the booster this is just an aside that he is willing to talk about this how long until we See him live tweeting about a cardiac arrest on, on like the dragon capsule uh, attaching to the International Space Station. Back to what you just said about loosening the um loosening the requirements. I have not. But again, to go back to September eleventh, any plane that was ignoring calls be that a terrorist attack, be that a heart attack or even the the rare cases where uh, the plane isn't pressurized and everyone on board dies and they call it a ghost plane. There's a reason why fighter jets go right up to the wing. People often say, oh, I felt safe when I saw the fighter jet, which is kind of hilarious because the fighter jet's there to shoot you down. They don't they don't stop for anything. This is going to lead to either a crash with a bunch of people on board, or it's going to lead to fighter jets uh, escorting a plane up across the sky. The, the truth is going to manifest in a way like an interest on a loan that you haven't paid off. It's going to get so big you cannot ignore it. But to answer your question, no, I haven't heard them. Let me just give a
1: little color for your audience. Uh, There's been an update in the manual uh, for health requirements of pilots and includes actually many changes and people have zeroed in on the uh, EKG changes and and there's been, you know, there's actually many of them uh, opening up greater degrees of tolerance. And I was asked for an interview on this. And what I said is that, listen, uh, you know, the EKG does change with age. So older people accrue more EKG abnormalities, younger people tend to have completely normal EKGs. And some of the abnormalities in alone and by themselves are mild, but when they're in a constellation of other abnormalities, um, it can uh, give some important inferences. But in general, EKG changes from normal are due to age, the use of concomitant drugs, largely cardiovascular drugs, and then actually cardiovascular disease itself. And so you know, what I've said is, instead of focusing on a single one of these myriad of parameters, uh, what we really need is we need disclosure of why these changes were made. What was the rationale for changing it? And, and they must have data. Uh, in order to make a change like this, they must have collected data where they saw some type of secular change, potentially maybe from 2020 to 2021, that prompted the review of now loosening the criteria. So uh, that's another area where I think we need to press the FAA on what prompted the change. Right.
2: And I would like to see that EKG data, Peter, I would like to see that EKG data for the last five years. And then I'd like to see the EKG data after the vaccines rolled up. I'd like to see the transparency here. Like, why is that being kept hidden from us? Why is the rationale being kept hidden? There, there's no rationale in that change uh, that they published. Well, um, they, and so, so I have two have questions.
1: Data. They must have data, Steve. I mean, yeah, like,
2: yeah, but they're not
1: showing it. Like, well, you here's know. The reason, Steve. Here's the reason why they had data, because uh, I do these types of exams for pilots. I'm familiar with this. If if something is checked other than um, normal in these different parameters, it it, it actually is a flag and then the flag has to be pursued. I anticipate over time, they saw more and more checks for abnormal, having more and more flags, and it became an administrative thing that came to their attention. And they've actually now modified the career so that so they get fewer of these administrative flags. Yeah,
2: there's no question, right? Because why would this thing have been stable for the beginning of time? And then all of a sudden, it changes. Now, if there was at the American college of cardiology or whatever, you know, whatever it is, some organization had said, Hey, we got it wrong for the last hundred years. We figured it out that, you know, we got it wrong. And and then they, they read that paper and then they updated their guidance from that. We'd say, Hey, that's fine. But that didn't happen here. So when you saw the point, the change from point two to point three, Peter, what was your reaction? It it was your reaction. Like, Oh, they're just being like, um, that's, you know more reasonable or were you like oh there's something going on here
1: well it's only a single ekg parameter so you know with that i I think that the mistake was to hyper focus on one thing we should look at the entire constellation of parameters that they loosened up on that one in alone and by itself uh is not uh is is not a i don't think should be a focal point but but what i've uh, focused on is you know the entirety of this it wasn't just ekgs there's a lot of things and The question is, what is it? Is the workforce aging and is it just age related secular changes or has there been a jump? And if there was a jump that corresponded uh, with the rollout of the vaccines and mandating the vaccines, I'd be concerned. You know, there's there's uh, there's other ones, uh, you know, along different organ systems. So a variety of organ system criteria that have now been loosened in the manual and I saw I saw a printout, a table of all the changes they had the no. manuals. I was greatly no. concerned that they have actually uh, that that there was actually a decline in the overall health of pilots.
2: Yeah, and they don't give a reason for it either, right? They just say, "Hey, we're changing this, we're changing this, we're changing this," and they don't justify it at all. I'm curious, uh, uh, Peter, on the, the Thailand study, you know, where where they looked at kids, 301 kids, and they they're normal before, and then they're. Uh, close to 29% who have abnormal readings after. And I've talked to some cardiologists who say, oh, hey, nothing to worry about. You know, EKGs can become abnormal just like that. You know, if you have a a, a vaccine, which may cause you to, uh, you know, your immune system to react, that your EKG parameters, you know, you can go to the, uh, uh, the tachycardia or the, uh, bra- I think it's bradycardia or brachycardia, um, you know, and so they're dismissing these changes as just being, oh, that's just because they got a vaccine and blah blah blah. But it's not indicating any heart damage. So my question to you, and this is very important, which is what percentage of those kids do you think has sustained some amount of of cardiac injury as a result of the vaccine? When you read that paper,
1: well, the paper you're mentioning is by Mansugin. Uh, and it's from Bangkok, Thailand, but they used state-of-the-art, DKG, Echo, uh, biomarkers. They used you know, the standard assay that we would use for cardiac troponin. And then when they thought there was myocarditis, they did cardiac MRI. So this was just as good as you know any study that Pfizer was gonna do or Harvard or Mayo Clinic. It's disappointing, by the way, the American institutions didn't do this study, and they did. Ages 13 to 18. And uh, you're right, about a third actually had cardiovascular symptoms. They had some type of finding, objectively, blood pressure up, heart rate up, uh, an EKG change, chest pain. They had something. That's a big fraction. Uh, The the, the percent that actually met a definition of myocarditis, which meant objectively having some uh, symptom, having a rise in cardiac troponin and an imaging abnormality, uh, that number came in in that study. At uh, 2.3%. So, uh, uh, and just to give you another um, external validity, Pesek and Christian Mueller, I know Christian Mueller is a friend of mine, Basel, Switzerland, they study 777 healthcare workers, mainly women, on the third shot, and they do cardiac troponin alone. And they find an elevation in 2.8%, very similar to the Mansugian study. Uh, and then finally, there's a paper, I believe by Kwan and colleagues from Thailand, where they just look at symptoms and, and EKG changes in younger individuals, I think adolescents. And the number they came up with was 17%. So three different studies, three different parts of the world. What I'm telling you is, a large number of young people have cardiovascular symptoms, and a smaller subset have bona fide myocarditis. And this is the conundrum: How do we figure out who has the real thing or not? A third of people is a lot to sift through. Right now, I don't see any way that we can assure safety with these vaccines in young people. Too many people have symptoms; it's too hard to rule it out. And then when we do do studies of biomarkers, you know, two point. let's say a midpoint. That's a high number. 2.5% cardiac injury is a high number. It's unacceptable.
2: Right. So, but, but my question was between the 2.5, which is clear uh, damage, right? You can, you can see the troponins go up. Like, would you have expected those other indicators, those other sort of biomarkers of cardiac injury to have triggered if these vaccines were safe and effective, would you you, would you expect people's EKG to be modified? Because like some cardiologists will say, oh, hey, it's just because the vaccine is stimulating the immune system. But man, this is like in three, they measured it in three, three days, seven days and 14 days. So my question to you is, what percentage of people do you think are injured sub- subclinically, subclinically plus clinically that they are actually sustaining permanent damage what percentage do you, would you guess
1: yeah you know i still i think that's a good one the lapesic study got to that remember the rate there was 2.8% as i recall 58% were asymptomatic they didn't feel it and remember in the mensugian study you know they had a definition of myocarditis they had two kids hospitalized with myocarditis by mri and even the Taiwanese study, I, there was a, a couple of kids who had myocarditis and they were hospitalized. So there's, it's always a subset of a subset, but uh, I, I, as I sit here today, I think it's about 2.5%. I think half of that's going to be asymptomatic and these people don't know it. Uh, they, they're developing a small scar in the heart. There, there's relatively few cases of heart failure. We're here, we're seeing you know large scar in some kids progressing to heart failure. You'll see them on vignettes on Twitter, um, uh, but we're not seeing that in the literature. Uh, but we're clearly seeing there's 250 papers on COVID-19 vaccine-induced myocarditis. We're seeing smaller scars in the heart, typically below the 15 percent, 15 percent. Scar fraction for the left ventricle. That's the threshold. By the way, someone needs an ICD. So, Jenna Schauers published two papers on this in kids, and one of one of the kids had 27% late gadolinium enhancement. That's a huge scar. Uh, it went down to like it went down to I believe 18% in follow up. It didn't resolve. The body ought to be able to resolve some of this late gadolinium enhancement because it's simply water in the myocardium that attracts the gadolinium, which which stays there resident uh, in, in the MRI imaging. Uh, But what I'm telling you is most kids don't have heart failure. They don't feel it. They have a scar. And under the right conditions, the right surge of adrenaline, the right time in the cardiac cycle and and everything else, then the electrical depolarization can go down through the scar slowly, come out, and then actually make an abnormal circle. That's called reentrant ventricular tachycardia. And that's fast enough. Typically, it's about 220, 240 uh, beats per minute to make somebody dizzy, and if something doesn't happen, boom, they go down, and when you watch Damar Hamlin, that's exactly what happened, he got up, he looked, he just adjusting his helmet, and then he went down, you see all the European soccer players, it starts out as re ventricular tachycardia, degenerates ventricular fibrillation, it's very shockable, if it's caught early, it can be shocked, but if it's not shocked within a few minutes, uh, it's ballgame.
2: So, Peter, do you have any doubt that uh, Damar Hamlin was vaccine injured? Yeah,
1: I, the way I look at it, uh, you know, within twenty-four hours, I got on TV. I was on Tucker Carlson, and I, you know, I was accurate. I told the nation he's going to survive, he's going to recover. Uh, and they quickly ruled out things. They can, with uh, you know, low potassium, low magnesium. They, 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 do, they, you know, they're already screened before they go on the field. So we know he doesn't have major valvular disease or hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. They'll re, they rescreen him in the hospital. the the doctors went on TV. Uh, They were very uh, evasive and they didn't mention anything. Now we're three weeks into it. And in fact, I was on TV. I told them they're going to let them go home. And they said, how do you know that? I said, because we use a life vest. I do this in my practice. When somebody recovers and their, their left ventricular function is normal, Steve, we put on a life vest, which is like a fishing jacket, which can detect the rhythm and shock it And I'm sure he had a life vest on, by the way, when he, you know, he showed up with kind of a bulky uh, jacket and then a decision can be made on an ICD, but the decision is going to be dependent on what's called an electrophysiologic study, an MRI, and importantly, cardiac genetics. We now know there's some baseline genetic changes that can make somebody far more likely to have a cardiac arrest when they have take the vaccine.
2: Okay, but you still didn't answer my question, Peter. What do you what What odds would you put on Demar Hamlin's injury being caused by the vaccine? Ninety eight percent,
1: 99, 99.9? Well, the NFL says ninety five percent of players took the vaccine. There was no public mention at all that he didn't take the vaccine, like there was with you know Aaron Rodgers or Colby. right. Right, we would have known. Right. So, so now I'd, I'd put him at you know ninety nine percent. He took the vaccine. And we're three weeks into it, and there's no announcement on anomalous coronaries, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, other etiologies. So, I think I'm settling on basically about 100% certainty that this is vaccine induced myocarditis and cardiac arrest. And,
2: uh, wow, you heard it, it here first, Tommy. Yeah,
1: yeah so the issue is the Triple issue right is, now is is he going to get a defibrillator? Um, you know, almost every cardiology practice would say, Listen, this is too risky, this could happen again during any type of workout it could happen yeah. during sleep uh put in an implantable cardiac defibrillator he's probably not uh jumping into this because he knows it's going to end his his um his right. career uh so- i I've, pre- I've previously had a pro hockey player very good one I'll, I'll he'll remain nameless but he had a condition where he had a cardiac arrest he had what's called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and he got a lot of advice from doctors not to play uh, but the team decided to kind of give it a risk anyway because he was so good. And sure enough, he had a cardiac arrest on the ice, but the doctors were so ready. Matter of fact, I, I know the guy who resussed him. I know him personally. They were out on the ice and they shocked him back. And then uh, he came into my care and he fought getting the ICD for the longest time because he knew he uh, you know, was going to end his career, but they weren't going to let him come back anyway. But it, it, it basically it was months and months and months of, more opinions and stuff. So uh, you won't see Hamlin uh, jump into this too quickly, but I anticipate he will get an ICD uh, and and he'll go on in life, you you know, not playing uh, football. What would really shock me is if they say, listen, he's perfectly fine. It had nothing to do with the vaccine and he went on the field. Now, if he did that, I'll be honest with you, I'd be extremely surprised.
2: Okay, so let me ask you this, Uh, Peter, I, I hear you're one of the top cardiologists in the entire world. Why wouldn't the NFL reach out to you (laughs) on a player like Damar Hamlin and ask you to examine him? Why wouldn't they do that? Don't they care about their players? The emperor wears no clothes. Peter, Peter, who is a better cardiologist for this, for what happened? Who is a better cardiologist in the world than Peter McCullough that you would say, oh, Damar, (laughs) <laughs> let me refer you to so-and-so, he's he's actually more qualified on something like this. Who would you refer them to, Peter? Would you refer well, them to yourself or?
1: No, well, to be fair, I'm a clinical cardiologist and I've spent a lot of time focusing on the, the vaccines. The electrical uh, circumstances, the initial rhythm, what the strips look like and and the ICD, the ICU care, that really falls into a, a cardiac electrophysiologist. But, but let, let me tell you, a colleague of mine Brian Olshansky, who is a very well-respected electrophysiologist, at University of Iowa, uh, has just published a case uh, of a woman. In fact, Brian sent me the paper because it's already been published. It's it's a woman who has an abnormal EKG at baseline. So this gets back to the pilot issue, Steve. She has an abnormal EKG at baseline, and she takes the vaccine, uh, the first shot. It does okay. It's a woman about 65. She takes the second shot. And then she actually passes out. She has a passing out episode and she comes to. So she gets referred to Oshansky and his team. You know, fair, you know, this is a crackerjack university, you know, a guy who I've known for 20 years. He's, this guy really knows what he's doing. He, they're trying to figure out what would the cause of the passing out spell. She has a lot of tests and and nothing really turns up outside this abnormal EKG. So they put in an implantable monitor, a monitor under the skin, not an ICD, a monitor. And then what happens five months later is she takes another shot. And then when she takes that shot, Steve, within 12 hours, she has a full-blown cardiac arrest. The monitor is monitoring all this. So it records the ventricular tachycardia. And then she gets um, called 911, she gets CPR, She's shocked 14 times. It takes over an hour to, to bring her back. And now I think she's neurologically uh, devastated. She's in a rehab facility, but it's all captured there. It's all captured there. And, and so you, you, these types of cases, I think, speak volumes. When people say, well, uh, you, you know, could the vaccine be causing cardiac arrest? Well, here it is. It's, it's actually captured all on the monitor. Uh, I hope Hamlin's getting great care from top electrophysiologists, good clinical cardiologist consulting. You're right. The NFL is a track record, by the way, of calling anybody they want to on players.
2: So, Peter, why wouldn't the NFL call you?
1: Steve, the NFL took federal dollars through the COVID Community Core program, $13 billion to push the vaccines. They did it early in 2021, the NFL wanted to push the vaccines. The players union didn't want to. You can see the press releases, a player, because it causes heart damage. The, 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 when the FDA in June of 2021 said the vaccines cause heart damage, as a cardiologist, I will tell you, no player can play if they have myocarditis. It's in our guidelines because playing on the field can trigger a cardiac arrest. So all this was laid out. The players union didn't want it. The NFL forced it. The NFL forced it from August of 2021 all, all the way to – March of 2022, and then the NFL drops it. They drop all protocols. They never mention COVID again. They were testing like crazy, doing all this stuff, and suddenly COVID didn't exist. The bottom line is <clears throat> they got 95% of the players to take the vax. That, that Maybe that was part of the stipulation of taking the government money. We'll have to figure that out. But the reason why NFL is not calling me is they don't want anyone to implicate the vaccine. Well, <clears throat>
2: I think we're uh even thank, thank you for that answer by the way. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome.
0: It's we're all we're kind of still looking at the periphery, be it NFL or be it censorship or be it blocking Mr. Kerher's emails or be it planes going down. It all comes back to that central source, though, the central well that you know all the streams come from, and it's these shots, and who's giving these shots will predominantly Pfizer and back to the project Veritas video. They're pushing evolution. So it's it reminds me of the World War II thing where you know they thought could we destroy every tank? And then someone's like, Why destroy every tank? There's five tank factories in like northwest Germany. And then someone even smarter was like, Hey, there's one central power power plant, and I think Silesia. And they're like, just bomb that thing. And they did, and it was just like lights out, no more tanks. So we can follow all of these things back up. We can look at Heart programs, again, we can look at Mr. Kirsch not being able to send an email. We can look at planes going down. We can look at all these things in the periphery, all these leaves and all these branches and roots. But you go back to the central core, these shots, and are they just accelerating the rollout of these shots by directing the evolution of SARS-CoV-2? I just finished uh, Dr. Andrew Huff's book, uh, The Truth About Wuhan. He's coming on here Tuesday, and he talked about, you know, the exact genetic sequence in that 2016 patent from I think Moderna, in the vaccine patent that is also found in SARS-CoV-2, that is it is trillions to one that that is a natural occurrence. And then <laughs> back to what to, back to what Mr. Kirsch said is how come the government's not looking into it? Dr. Huff talks about, and he worked at EcoHealth Alliance, by the way, and uh, he said right when he started to blow the whistle, DARPA came to him. And so they wanted to hire him, but they bypassed all the normal TSSCI polygraph things and were just like, hey, we just want you in. We want to give you the clearance, which red flags went up. He was like, why are they, why are they, why are they coming to me with just dropping everything? I'm not the smartest guy in the world. And he concluded they wanted to fast track him onto this special access program so that. Instead of being a whistleblower, anything he said would be treasonous and at best would end up in Guantanamo. So he turned it down. Oh, wow. They didn't want him on the team. That would, that'd be like <laughs> a 5 job. I'd be like, why do they want me? And it's good, no, because they want me to sign something that says I can't talk under threat of death. So he didn't. Do, so the point is, this is they're willing to bring down, they're willing to throw out uh, uh, classification requirements and background checks to bring you onto DARPA. <laughs> Which, which, quote, creates the vast weapon systems of the future, like the internet, GPS, and the thermonuclear bomb, just to get him to shut up. So the question then goes is, well, how deep is this thing? Are they just evil and incompetent and want to look at Taylor Swift and I'm not throwing out the bread and circus argument? Or is that that they're all involved with nothing short
2: of crimes against humanity? I, you know, look, I, 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 Tommy, I think most of the people are completely blue-pilled they yeah. are convinced that the fda and the cdc are telling them the truth including yeah. most people that work at the cdc and the fda i mean these yeah. people are are hired because they're sheep yeah. they follow orders and they believe what they're told and the people who question it those people end up getting fired or they yeah. quit so these these organizations i mean look at this pfizer employee you know yeah. it's like how does how does pfizer how is there no whistleblowers at pfizer you weed a look i know i know for a fact that these pfizer people basically lied to the fda and nobody's calling him out on it and you know this is something that you know that that anyone with a moral compass when they see them they they should be like raising hell they should go into you know the whistleblower protection program or whatever and these people aren't speaking out and it's like pfizer it must have a, 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 a morality test. Like if, if you um, think that it's okay for the company to make money and the American public to be screwed, you're hired, Yeah, you know, and I don't know how they screen these people, but you know, the fact that there's not any whistleblowers at Pfizer with all of the shit that's going on, look, you don't have over 700 safety signals triggering in bears, And the CDC says nothing to the American people. And we don't find out about it until there's a Freedom of Information Act request. And the death safety signal in VARES triggered a month, less than a month after they rolled out these vaccines. So they have been tr- hiding the death safety signal in vares for two years now. And they're still not admitting it, even after the FOIA came out showing that the death safety signal triggered they're not admitting that to the American public and they're going like, oh, we saw this tr- you know, safety signal for stroke and we looked into it. It's it's not it's not real. Bullshit. It 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 triggered that safety signal is triggered in bears for sure. No doubt about it. They even admitted in the FOIA and they claimed to the public. They had the audacity to claim to the public that the stroke safety signal is triggered only only in VSD. I mean these people are corrupt beyond imagination and there isn't a single member of Congress who wants to go and investigate this other than, uh, than Senator Rod Johnson and he's in the minority
1: yep Tommy um the uh we're in a we're in the, a giant biological disaster ongoing right now and there is a a clear evidence of a safety cover-up not only by the companies, but uh, by the U.S. FDA, the CDC, uh, almost every FAA. Season, F-A- uh, I have to say this, Tommy. You know, if NFL, the vaccine, if the vaccines were pulled off the market today, uh, and I really wish they they would. I see them as a as a clear and present threat to. They're a national threat to our country. Um, I don't think we're out of the woods. Because uh, think about the case of DeMar Hammond. Let's go back to him. The NFL starts the mandates in August of 2021. He's in training camp. I guarantee he had to take shot one in August, shot two in September. Then he's he's playing. 2021, they have a pretty good season. They, they go into the postseason. I know because I'm a Bills fan. Um, and so they they uh so they get into the postseason and they're still under the mandate i guarantee he has to take a booster somewhere around january or february of 22 and so we're looking at three shots right there now in march of 22 they dropped the mandates and i bet most of the players said forget it they're not going to take it but so he has three shots when did he have his cardiac arrest a year later in january of 2023 so that means if this is true that in fact this myocarditis can yield cardiac arrests a year later if this is true we're in deep trouble uh mm-hmm. we are in deep deep trouble because these cardiac arrests are going to come in almost on a daily basis a stochastic you don't know who's going to be the next person uh, recently a det- former detroit lion young man 25 years old cardiac arrest i just got notified last night that one of my colleagues former colleagues at, at Henry Ford Hospital uh you know senior doctor uh, just went down with the car- cardiac arrest we've heard about you know 80 canadian physicians um it's 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 going to happen now if it's true that the cardiac arrest can occur that far from the last shot uh i, I think i, I think that you're going to see this this panic set in in our country everyone's going to be looking over their shoulders about could they be the next one
2: yeah. And, and look, there's no doubt that people who get these vaccines can can die uh, two years, two years or or possibly more. I know of a case where someone died two years after he got the vaccine. It was absolutely attributed to the vax. <clears throat> no question. I've
1: seen, when I've seen Steve, and I'm really worried about this. There people took two shots early in 2021. And then they said, listen, this is bad news. You can't blame people early on. They, they took it. Uh, you know, they were told it was the right thing to do. They took it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you're doing the right thing. Listen, people in my family did it too. They took it and uh, they said, listen, now, now it looks bad. They're not going to take any more. What I've seen is later on in, in 22, 2022, they get COVID. So they get superimposed COVID and that's their third exposure of the spike protein. And then a few months later, boom, pulmonary emboli or boom, myocarditis. This happened to weatherman Al Roker, Well, well described case, same thing with former Tampa Bay coach Bruce Arians. I've had two people in my practice 18 months after the shot. They both got, you know, mild case of Omicron and then had life-threatening pulmonary emboli. Uh, So I I, I think intervening COVID is this additional risk. It's still around. The vaccines don't stop it. Uh, So I'm greatly concerned. Even if we pull the vaccines off the market now, we've done uh, such damage to the health of our country
0: and they're continuing to push this if directed evolution is accurate that they like, make no mistake is it's not over we're we're watching the first tower on fire and we're saying this is terrible and someone in the future is going yeah wait till the second plane comes in it's yeah. still going it's still going we're in that moment right now where there are still planes in the sky something can <laughs> still be done
2: you know you would think there'd be a uh, uh, at least a Twitter post from from a member of Congress saying we you know we should investigate this Veritas video. I guarantee you there is more there than was shown. Okay, yeah. you didn't see you did not see the full video.
0: You can't keep teasing okay? us like this. You
2: gotta. What do you know? Give us a little I mean, breadcrumb. I, if I told you, that you could figure out the source. Um, okay. So I don't want to get my source in trouble. Understood. There is more. There is, there is, and, and and I was actually surprised that they didn't, that Project Veritas didn't uh, air this. There's more damaging stuff that they haven't aired from that video that was recorded.
1: Let me, let me uh, jump in here and take you off the hot seat. Uh, before you came on, I mentioned that you probably saw this. Uh, within 24 hours, Senator Marco Rubio fired off a letter to Albert Borla at Pfizer, you know, asking about this employee and what he said, if it's true. But I think the important revelation here is if what this young doctor said is true, that then Pfizer is actually developing biological weapons against the United States or against countries in the world. So this is actually bioterrorism. These are yeah. very high. Charges against Pfizer.
2: Yeah, I mean, these Pfizer executives like this guy uh, should be taken under oath uh, for the Senate under penalty of perjury, which means you go to jail if you if you lie. And we need to get to the bottom of this. There need to be uh, hearings uh, in, in Congress. And if there aren't, then the people in Congress are in on it.
1: Yeah, but the 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 idea here is you know there's witnesses people you just want to talk to there's subjects people who could be involved in it and then there's targets uh, targets means that people you think did it I I think that the Borla and the executive team at Pfizer they need to come under investigation for conspiracy uh, to to basically uh, wage a bioterrorism attack on the United States I think that would be the the framing of the investigation its that serious. It's its bioterrorism against us and whoever else they were planning uh, in this conspiracy and, and the conspiracy, the, the, the conspiratorial of this is just planning. Remember, if you just plan a bioterrorism attack, you don't carry it out. You still, Tommy, correct me if I'm wrong, you, you still conspiracy. Yeah, you still really are in very, very deep water on this, isn't this true? Even if you don't carry it out, but just conspiring to do that,
0: conspiring them. to conspiring murder, conspiring assassination—that all is a crime. And uh, yeah. it's it's a uh, again kind of flying under the radar is ah uh, is a uh, Dr. McCullogh did come on here with Dr. Ken Alabek who's been on this podcast several times. He was the deputy director of Biopreparat, the Soviet Union's bioweapon program. That didn't exist. Defected to the United States in 1991. They were putting Ebola on the nose cones of ICBMs. Crazy stuff. He came on here and just the video has like a hundred views. But I I just asked him <laughs> candidly. I'm like, is this a is this a which is just my lo- loss of faith in humanity. I was like, is this a bioweapon? You know, I'm thinking he's going to give us some intricate expert. And he goes, I mean, it's from Wuhan, and there's a bio lab there. And it says in his thick accent, so you know what what do you think of this? <laughs> and it's like. All
2: right, That's just is. A, Don't hey, care. Tommy. no, no, no. It's just a coincidence. It's a coincidence. It's a... Yeah, it's like all these sudden deaths. You know, I looked at the death records, and you know what the number one symptom of people who died who were vaccinated? You know what the number one cited, you know, sort of symptom of this death is? It's died suddenly. Oh. It was like off the charts. It's not heart disease. It died suddenly. Oh. Is the, the number one check thing. And it's not that for the unvaccinated. Isn't that strange?
1: You know, I, I think one of the most, coincidence, one of the most revealing sources of data on this secular change, uh, comes from a German health insurance company, a, a private German health insurance company, which has seen a giant increase in death since the vaccine rollout. And they actually, because they're a health insurance company, they actually know what the causes of death are, yeah. and the increase in causes of death are due to unknown causes just exactly what steve said that's it that's the incremental increase is death due to unknown causes
2: wild and just a coincidence we we wouldn't be conspiracy theorists like you know like that's just a coincidence come on again you know i have never peter i have never in my life seen so many people die suddenly including young people i mean like it is off the charts for young people. It's like, and these people are are like dying in plain sight. I mean, they're they're being recorded when they're dying. I have never seen anything like that in my
1: life. Well, Steve, there's a vignette uh just posted from VARES in the last week or so. This is absolutely tragic. Six month old baby goes to see the doctor in the same administration, receives the uh, uh the MMR, the TDAP the influenza vaccine, the pneumococcal vaccine, and then the COVID vaccine in the same administration. And a few days later, the baby's dead. And this is a just, just you know, I think by definition, this is being vaccinated to death. It's, it's yes, just and clear as day. And, uh, and,
2: and, and they'll, they'll actually claim that as a victory, Peter, which is the which is the stunning thing is they'll 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 claim that as a victory, saying, "See, the baby didn't die from COVID," you know, or 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 the excuse like, "Hey, if I hadn't have had the shots, it would have been much worse." Yeah,
1: <laughs> well, yeah. we we know this much is that uh, we're in deep trouble. Uh, I've seen some predictions that defibrillator sales are going to go through the roof. We're hearing now this commonplace. Uh, I was in dinner in Dallas last week. Someone. You know, uh, it had just flown in. And they said, Oh, yeah, a a 25 year old man on my flight had a cardiac arrest. And the doctors were busy, uh, you know, resuscitating him and they were able to shock him. And that's just part of a routine airplane flight now is to have a 25 year old passenger have a cardiac arrest. Uh, We're going to see this. And uh, I also have a sense that the cardiac arrest risk is cumulative that these shots, remember from the LePesic study and uh, from all the case reports of this, that it amplifies with each shot. So shot one and then shot two is even higher risk. Shot three is is even greater risk. So this is just every shot. Now, even if a smaller percentage of the population is taking third and fourth shots, this accumulative risk is intensifying.
2: Yeah, and you know, you know about the Cleveland Clinic study, uh, figure two of that one, which basically showed that you you started this population. It's the pop fifty one thousand over fifty one thousand. Peter probably knows the exact number. There's over fifty one thousand employees of the Cleveland Clinic in multiple locations, and they're all working age people. It's not eighty year olds and whatever. Some have four four shots, some have three, some have two, some have one, some have zero. And it's a perfect distribution, and there's no statistically uh, there's no statistical overlap. In other words, the noise these these curves are not overlapping. They're statistically different in terms of the ninety five percent confidence levels. And what it shows is that every time you get the shot, you are more likely to be infected with COVID for every shot that you get. And it was stunning, and you know I'll bet that paper never makes it to a peer-reviewed journal. It was put out as a preprint. I bet it never makes it to a peer-reviewed journal. And the, the one uh, Skidmore's paper, Mark Skidmore's paper, which Peter talked about earlier, I'm friends with Skidmore too. He emailed me when the paper was coming out. That paper is being protested now as, oh, that's not justifiable. So they're trying to get the paper taken down. I wrote the journal and I said, hey, how about a little transparency here, folks? How about letting us see who wrote that objection and let's see exactly what that objection is because I have a hundred people who I will have fact check that objection. And if it's true, great, we support it. If it's not true, we're going to give you a plenty of evidence to debunk that. And I have yet to hear back from the journal. The uh, the journal actually wrote back to me. I said, hey, you know, I have a question about the Skidmore papers being under attack. And they said, Skidmore paper, uh, do you have like a reference on that? What journal was it in? Uh, what was the manuscript number? I mean, like I'm supposed to know the manuscript number. It's not on the paper. I mean, well, let's see what happens. I wrote them back and I said, I gave them everything I had and, and I CC'd uh, Mark Skidmore on it. But look, this is what happens when you ha- go against a narrative is well, that your study gets, and Peter, you know this firsthand.
1: I have some insight about retractions just so the audience can know. Once a paper is fully peer-reviewed, vetted, contracted, there's a publication contract and a copyright contract, and it's published and cited, enlisted in the National Library Medicine. It's done. It's part of medical history. It can only be retracted according to the publication contract if it's found after the fact to be scientifically invalid, in fact, fraudulent. That did happen with hydroxychloroquine papers published in Lancet, New England Journal of Medicine, because it was fraudulent data. It didn't even exist. It happens very, very rarely. I've had two papers now retracted. And what I've been told is, and this is after paying uh, publication fees, which are typically three to $5,000 a paper. I mean, it's not small for you know us academic people. and uh, And copyright and all this, I'm told that they were withdrawn for administrative reasons. that the the paper really didn't. And and so I've had two of retracted like this, one with Jessica Rose, and then one I published of of my own. And then, Steve, I've had one with Stephanie Senoff, uh, your former uh, MIT alum uh, with you. And and what Stephanie uh, and I experienced is there was such enormous pressure put on the editor and he wouldn't give up. And so instead of retracting our paper for administrative reasons, he resigned. Wow. Interesting.
2: and then the, ed, the the replacement editor then retracted the paper. Let me guess.
1: no, it's it's still standing today oh. and, and can you imagine the papers that were quoting how much intense pressure the publisher and the editorial board uh, and the editor must receive for any paper, that uh points out safety concerns with the vaccines or yeah. lack of efficacy let me just mention the shretha paper that you quoted from cleveland clinic remember shretha uh, about 2 years ago had a paper out at, from cleveland clinic showing that those uh people who were naturally immune they'd already recovered from covid that they had a zero risk of covid just showing that it's kind of i think before just early in the vaccine program and so the Cleveland Clinic paper was was the one that healthcare workers were saying, listen, once you've had COVID, you, you, you know, you're not at risk anymore. And uh, that paper was in the preprint service system. It was withdrawn by the Cleveland Clinic the same day that the Cleveland Clinic announced their vaccine mandate. The two were, were, uh, they matched up on the same date.
2: Yeah. So- and we never get to see the evidence behind that. It's called the fun coincidence.
1: It's uh, uh it, it's it's uh, another coincidence. Is the same date that a major health system in Dallas announced their vaccine mandate is the same date that it appeared in the newspapers that they were suing me for bringing their name into the media. Ah, uh, same date.
2: Free same date. free speech, huh? Sue them on free speech. That that's great. You know, Peter, I heard, um, and I'm getting the evidence behind this. There's a um funeral director and and he lives and he, his place is in the middle of a retirement community so he just services people like 80 years old uh 70 years old and and so forth in this retirement community when the vaccines rolled out for the first year he had a 100 a, a uh cases uh and and he found out that over 90% of them died within 15 days of getting the vaccine. Yeah. Does that surprise you?
1: No, it, it matches. There's actually a nursing home study from Norway and also the uh, McLaughlin analysis from Vares from Queen's University in London. Remember McLaughlin analysis is very important. It was April of 2021. So only he had three months of data with the vaccines and the doctors individually reviewed the vignettes and they coded the vignettes. They coded them and McLaughlin found that the people who were dying after the vaccines were the seniors. And the older they were, some of them died within a few hours of taking the vaccine. It's all in the McLachlan paper. I've seen that he's uh, been on a few webinars recently. Uh, that paper, again, probably is in the, will be in the preprint server system. You know, by the way, the preprint server system, which really became popular during COVID because we needed to publish our data quickly, uh, has been reviewed, I believe, British Medical Journal and about 55% of the papers do make it into the full peer-reviewed literature, 45% don't. I think a lot of them that don't, I know I have a few of them, uh, it's just because of this medical censorship, which is now uh, is now um, well known. But Steve, I think the important point is we, we think the young people are notable, the athletes and what have you, but there may be large, large numbers of seniors now towards the end of their life and, and their life, the, the progression to death may be accelerated by Vaccination. I'm very worried there's, about this uh, because yeah, there's of- no
2: question. There's no question, Peter. That the numbers speak for themselves. You know, so not only can I can I cut my death data and look at the 80 to 90 cohort and the 70 to 80 cohort, and we're seeing that acceleration um, in the elderly. And but I I know of a, ger- a there's a geriatric practice, very large, thousand patients. It's it's like with a se- sole practitioner covering a thousand patients. They were having eleven deaths a year regularly. You know, it's like the perfect—it's Poisson distribution. It's you know the the eleven is the is the mean, and the the standard deviation is is exactly what you get from from Poisson uh, distribution. All of a sudden, in twenty twenty two, they recorded thirty nine deaths when they're getting eleven every year. And so I asked them, "What do you attribute these excess deaths to?" Every single one of them. The vaccine?
1: Well, it fits with the autopsy data. You know, Schwab from Heidelberg, Germany, and now Chavez from Colombia, two separate studies, vac- autopsies after vaccination, top line 70 to 80% of the deaths have clear cut accepted vaccine injury syndromes, blood clots, heart damage neurologic damage. Uh, you know, Steve, it's interesting. The FDA, some workers who, who probably are ethical within the FDA, they're trying to signal us. A, a recent paper from the FDA, they're the, they're the authors by Wu and colleagues, Wu, they're publishing on the Janssen vaccine and specifically, but it's very important, thousands of cases of blood clots, Steve, thousands of cases, and they're reporting blood clots from the ankle to the hip monster blood clots, 11% of cases fatal. This is from the FDA. They published it separately. So probably some workers who ethically wanted to get the data out. So when the embalmers are reporting these large blood clots, we've been trying to figure out, is this all post-mortem artifact and spike protein, super antigen, or is there something to it? No, it's, it's pre-mortem. Yeah, this we, this, Anti-mortem. Woo, this woo paper suggests clearly it can happen anti-mortem. I mean, they report on thousands of cases and the size of these blood clots, Steve, is extraordinary.
2: Yeah, it's like two feet. I've heard of two feet long clots being taken out from a live person and it's intact. Normally you take out a blood clot, to you're fall. not gonna be able to take it out intact. It
1: fall right. apart. And yeah. so
2: so Peter, can can you you could probably yeah. speak to this. But yeah. taking out a 2 foot long blood clot intact, have you ever Peter have you ever heard of anything like that?
1: No, blood the clots magician. are like uh, blood clots are are, are they're like a uh, grape jelly. You know, grape jelly doesn't stick together. It kind of falls apart. Um What we know is several papers show this, the spike protein, which is produced by the vaccines in large quantities, it's physically in the blood clot. It's physically in the blood clot. The spike protein damages the lining of the blood vessel. So it actually begins the the start of the blood clotting process. And then it dramatically stimulates blood clotting. And worse than that, the spike protein appears to be among three dozen different proteins in the body. That's amyloogenic, meaning it folds and when the spike protein folds in the setting of a blood clot, it becomes rubbery. Amyloid means rubbery. Amyloid. So, uh, you know, I have a you know a decade experience in cardiac pathology. You know, every single week with at the autopsy table, and when we see amyloid organs before COVID, it was because a different protein folded in, in the body over time and caused an amyloidogenic change. What the undertakers are reporting are amyloidogenic blood clots. They are like rubbery blood clots. What I'm seeing in clinical practice, Steve, and this is really concerning, is people who have these blood clots. we use blood thinners, the body should dissolve them. And, And I'm finding that they're not being dissolved. The small ones are, but the big ones are persistent, sometimes more than a year. Yeah, this is some horror movie
0: stuff. I mean, this is really some like biblical rapture. This is something you'd read about in like the Dead Sea Scrolls, like every man, woman and child will have fibrin clots two feet long. It, it it I don't think it's and I obviously I have a biology degree I'm nowhere near doctor is does this have something to do with the the coagulation cascade?
1: Well, what we know is there's several papers showing if there's a blood clotting disorder, the blood clots can be worse. In fact, uh, I think a case example is Neon Dion Sanders, former Dallas Cowboy great. He has a family history of blood clotting disorder. He really pushes and promotes the vaccines hard. Hard, assuming we took, he took two or three of them, then he develops arterial blood clots in the in the femoral arteries high up. In fact, some commentary when he got really sick and was in the hospital, said thought he may going to be amputated at the hip. Uh, it, fortunately, the blood clots shoot down to his legs, so he doesn't get amputated hip, but he gets toes amputated. He has nine different surgeries. And the shocking thing about Neon Dion, you know, really handsome, wonderful guy, father, many kids, you know, very successful, he's a coach now at Colorado University. He does a docu-series on this and he never mentions the vaccine. He, he fails to realize that it's the vaccine that's tipped him over into this vicious arterial blood clots uh, 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 syndrome. I had a woman in my practice who came who had simultaneous arterial and venous blood clots in the extremities. I've never seen that before. She was very sick. This happened just a few weeks after shot number two of Moderna. I reported to VERS, and uh, she was on blood thinners in the hospital, not when she saw me. I started blood thinners, and her legs were very dusky, had very poor pulses. I did ultrasound. I, I confirmed the blood clots were still there. I saw her a month later. She was a little bit better. And then the, the month after that, I get called from the Dallas County coroner's office that she's found dead at home. Found dead at home. Uh, and so I'm telling you as a doctor, and I filled out the death certificate that she died of COVID-19 vaccine-induced blood clots. Uh, and, um, and I can tell you these these deaths are happening. Uh, I think some of the, the elderly deaths where we see less risk of myocarditis, it probably is blood clotting. Some of the senior citizens, I think the death within a few hours is like that baby I mentioned. That's a reactogenic death. Uh, the, the fever And the drop in blood pressure is so overwhelming that it's fatal in a small baby or in a senior citizen. They're both frail.
2: And there's and Peter, there's no ICD-10 code for for a death caused by the COVID vaccine. Does that surprise you? I mean, like, shouldn't there be an ICD-10 code in America uh, for a uh, a a death caused by the? You determined it was caused by the vaccine. Shouldn't there be an ICD-10 code for it?
1: Well, there should or certainly be a modifier, Steve. I, I have to tell you, we've been uh, informed that there's a new ICD code for people who did not take the vaccine. <laughs> and that ICD code is, is, is potentially worrisome for a label that someone could carry this on their medical records and then ultimately come up in a search. Yeah. Uh, so- People are very worried about this development. You know, everything we've talked about, we've been going for a while. I have to probably uh, finish it up, Tommy. Everything we've been talking about is so contemporary. It's literally just happened in the last few weeks.
0: It's another uh, kind of absurd. And then I, yeah, I'll, I'll let you go. And uh, I've kept you 30 minutes longer than I said it would. Uh, on this podcast, episode 1048 with Dr. Eric Feintug and Dr. James Thorpe, they're talking about uh, Canadian statistics from a, a hospital that they got from like a whistleblower who they didn't name. They said normally I think it's 5.42 uh, miscarriages or fetal deaths uh, per 100,000 up all their data for like the last 60 years. And then. From like April twenty twenty one till now, it went from five point four two to I think twenty six point two two. I mean, if it's it's over five hundred percent increase. Tommy, Veritas tape. Okay, all right. Well, hey, well, let's actually, because because uh, because um, Mr. Kirsch is going to continue teasing us as I as it seems that that's where he gets the most happiness from. This is. Uh, I am friends with someone from Project Veritas and I do want to kind of plug this is uh, I know personally a a lot of like what they do and I don't think I'm allowed to show what they do. But the point is this for every video you see, there are a million videos that don't make it. There are a million dates that don't succeed. There are a million costs and plane tickets and hotels and cameras and salaries that don't happen. It is a low return percentage. I don't get anything project from Project Veritas. I wish I did. I I, I don't get any. Go donate like five bucks to them. I'll put the link in here. I'll find the link. I'll put it in the description. If you like these videos, go because that is how they go. They're entirely supportive. They're getting rated by the FBI. James O'Keefe is doing more than every media corporation in the United States. Go throw them five bucks. That's that's what I got. I put Mr. Kirsch's Substack, all of your social media in the description. I'll put Dr. McCullough's social media and his book, The Courage to Face COVID-19. Mr. Kirsch, I just cut you off. What were you going to say?
2: Oh, uh, yeah, totally. Um, a uh, project Veritas. Uh, look, they they have a lot of people uh, that they hire uh, to do this stuff, and they, and like you said, there's a lot of stuff that n- never makes it on camera. Yeah. And they 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 will pay for a guy to be undercover for a year, yes, before getting a story like this. So it's very expensive, yeah, to very, do the kind of work that they're I mean, doing.
1: Th- think about the work they're doing. They're doing the work that the CIA and fbi should be doing they're actually doing they're doing yeah. national security intelligence community work that our government agencies should do and
0: they're not getting yeah, that exactly Pentagon like budget. where
1: are, where's the fbi on this you they're, know, not, they're like... not
0: getting black helicopters and suvs and new and new iphones they're doing it yeah. Yeah. no if and if someone is a whistleblower and they lose their job they'll pay that person's salary yeah. they they yeah. are doing god's work Go throw them five bucks,
2: like truly. Yeah, com- yeah. Compared to like sixty minutes, which is, this, you know, we we try to tell sixty minutes, hey, this is the biggest story ever, and we've got all the data to back it up, and we can prove all of it, and you can do your own surveys, you can collect the data yourself. You know, one of the things about the the data collection on this is that anybody could do it. CNN could do it in a heartbeat. The New York Times could do it in a heartbeat. Washington Post. They don't want to look. They don't want to, like some of these things, You, I put together a survey in 20 minutes and launch it, and bam, it cost me 20 minutes of my time, and it reveals everything. Why isn't the New York Times lifting a finger it, to find out the truth? It's because they don't want people to know the truth. You know, these people don't have to spend years like Project Veritas. All they have to do is one survey. I guarantee it. And it will bring down the house, but they refuse to do it. And and in fact, most of the polling companies will refuse to even run the survey. That's how bad it is. I mean, it is really bad. But like, no newspaper, no mainstream newspaper is ever going to commission a poll like this because. It will show that they've been lying to the American people, that their newspaper has been telling people to get a vaccine, which is clearly harming them and providing no benefit whatsoever. It's not, there is no benefit for infection. There's no benefit for community transmission. There's no benefit for hospitalization, and there's no benefit for death. There's only downsides for these vaccines. And these guys have been promoting it, and they don't want to be proven wrong. And that is why they're not going to look. It's willful blindness. Peter, would you disagree with that?
1: Yeah, we're going to have to leave it there, Steve. I I agree. It's willful blindness. Uh, We've seen unprecedented malfeasance, corruption, and harm to the population. And uh, more people need to gravitate to the side of truth here. It's got to happen. It's only, listen, there's no court that's going to save us. There's no Senate hearing, no congressional hearing. We're not going to be saved by somebody. This is really a test of the willpower of the people and that's the reason why we're, we're we're basically throwing we're throwing our whole careers in on this. That's how important it is.
0: And uh while I'm being a, a bitter, toxic old man, uh for anyone watching, if there are any podcasts you see on YouTube and they're talking about how they're fighting for free speech, but they won't interview Dr. McCullough or Mr. Kirsch. <laughs> or Dr. Malone, ah. you see it, not to name names, but like Alex Friedman or Tim Pool. I'm sure they're good guys. They've got millions of subscribers and they'll put a flag behind them and say, we're freedom fighters going for the, fr-. I'm doing this podcast from a bedroom and I've had on Dr. McCullough 20 times, Mr. Kirsch a second time, Dr. Malone 18 times, Ken of the of the Soviet Union's bioweapon program 12 times. You can get on these people. I don't want to hear, I'm a freedom fighting patriot. No, you're not. You don't have courage. Grow a pair. And just do the right thing or, or invest in, Tommy, in Pfizer. I don't know.
1: Tommy, I got to say, listen, Glenn Beck <laughs> is 15 minutes away in the blaze studio from me right now. Never got the call.
0: That's my, that's my point.
1: Yeah. A, a, Glenn Beck, I can tell you, I got Joe Rogan three hours uh, down the road and the guy's ghosting me. He's scared to death he that won't I never call me either hear his, uh, his uh, precious Spotify contract. Uh, and then you have people who uh, I think are greatly misunderstood, like wow. Alex Jones. And sure. Alex Jones will say, listen, come on down and just tell America oh. what's going on. It, you know, m- My studio is an open book, and, and, and Alex doesn't tell anybody what to say. Just nope. you know, and Many times, you know what Alex does? He walks off the set. He goes, McCullough, just tell just America take it. what it.
0: <laughs> I've, I've literally got to witness that in person. Just,
1: yeah, you were down there.
0: Hey doc, hey doc, hey doc, you take it over. I'm going to the and yeah. Tell him the truth.
1: I, I, I was, I was on this week, and he brought Michael Yaden in. Yaden is still banned from Twitter, by the way. He's had on Ben Marble, uh, Lee yeah. Ming Yang, uh, Steve. I think you've been on uh, Alex Jones, right? Yep. I mean, yeah. I, I just tweeted out today because people say, Wow, Doctor McCullough, your credibility is really dropping if you go on Alex Jones." I said, "Listen, I've given." Truth is hundreds truth. and hundreds of interviews i'm probably getting close to a thousand and uh, i'm consistent it's the same dr mccullough i give the same message i've been accurate all the way through and uh uh the, the, this idea if i go on tucker carlson people complain that oh tucker's dropping my credibility or laura ingram or sean hannity or tommy kerrigan you know on and on and on this business of the the news anchor uh, matters incredibly It's not the case. It's the content. It's right. the content. And you're right. The honest ones, the ones who are really interested in freedom, they uh, they allow the contact on. It. And I, I get, I give a lot of credit to Tucker Carlson. And he said it. I think it was last night or the night before uh, on this Pfizer situation with this uh, with this doctor. He said, I said, how come I'm the only station covering this? That's
2: what it is. Yeah. The well, Wayne, Wayne, by the way, Wayne Allen Root. You know, he used to be super popular on Fox. He started talking about the vaccine. He's like persona non grata at Fox, just because he he's telling the truth. I think Wayne Allen Roots, you know, doing a, a, a heck of a job. He's been very consistent. And he has this incredible story of 200 people, you know, kind of half vaccinated and the other half is right. unvaccinated. And it's the vaccinated people who are dying and having serious injuries and the unvaccinated friends are like reporting nothing. And it's like, man, you can see this stuff with your own eyes, just with your own friends.
1: But Steve, you know, I promised Wayne we'd never talk about that again because you know what the scenario is? That's his wedding. And I know Wayne and his wife and his wife said, can you guys please stop talking about it because it's ruining the the memory of my wedding. But you're right. The people who attended the wedding who are vaccinated are dropping like flies. And he's keeping track. Those who are unvaccinated are fine. It's a wedding. He was just married a couple of years ago. And uh, But you're right. Wayne's come over. We've seen, um, astonishingly, Grant Stenchfield here in Dallas. He's my neighbor. He lives 15 minutes this way. Not even 15 minutes, probably two minutes that way. Uh, Grant was fired from Newsmax. And uh, uh, he's going to start his own independent media. We've seen April Moss fired up in Detroit. She's moved to to Texas. She was a, a weatherman. Ivory Hecker. Uh, we see media personality after media Kim personality. Kim Iverson. Uh, yeah, Kim Iverson. You know what we found out is through the COVID Community Core Program, the President Biden, White House, and HHS, thirteen billion dollars of fe- our federal dollars flowed early in twenty twenty one to push the vaccines. They actually give a list of all the media stations where the money went to. You can click on download it. I download it. And I tweeted it out. Nearly four thousand media outlets. Tommy, they covered every local TV station. ABC, CBS, NBC, they covered every major network you can imagine, including Fox. There was none of them were, were missing. They blanketed the entire media to promote the vaccines.
0: They didn't give me anything. They didn't give me a penny. And you know what? That's that's actually why I'm doing these episodes. It's all a grudge. Um but <laughs> listen, we
1: gotta go. Yeah, yeah,
0: I've kept you 40 minutes longer than I said because I cannot be trusted. Guys, please, if you're gonna do anything, go throw a couple bucks at Project Veritas. And if you don't want to go do that, at least go follow Dr. McCullough and Mr. Kirsch on Substack, Getter, Gab, all that good stuff. I'll put all of that in the description. And again, the link to Dr. McCullough's book, The Courage to Face COVID 19. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for watching, guys. Do the right <laughs> thing. Don't be complicit. Don't be stupid. Don't be willfully ignorant. And, uh, Yeah. Just be a real one. Thank you so much, gentlemen. I'll send you the link. God bless everybody. Stay safe. Thank you so much for watching. Take care. Goodbye.